SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Sega Talk, a podcast where we talk about all things Sega. Usually we take one game and we talk about it for like 45 minutes to an hour. On this episode, we're talking about Golden Axe. And uh, with me, oh, I'm going to host the show, and with me is Barry. Hello. I already screwed up right in the intro. And if you guys like this podcast and you guys want to see me screw up more, you guys could <laughs> subscribe to us on Google Podcasts. Uh, they just launched a new app. We're also on iTunes. We have an RSS feed on SegaBits.com, and of course, if you're watching it on YouTube, you could see me right now. And it's kind of weird. Stop staring. Um, and we're also on Patreon. Oh, yes. I forgot. We got to shill Patreon. We're also on <laughs> Patreon at Patreon.com slash SegaBits. If you guys want to donate, we can do more episodes and have uh, more Sega talk. So, let's talk about the first thing. What is your memories with uh, Golden Axe, Barry? Golden Axe. Well... Uh, let's see. I feel like this is one of those games that I rented. I never owned it until much later. And I, I had played Streets of Rage before this, and so I felt at the time that it was a step down from Streets of Rage. But I did enjoy it. Um, I'm trying to think what I, which one I played. It must have been the first Golden Axe. And yeah, I, I think I really kind of rediscovered the series much later. And... Yeah, I wish I could say more, but that's, that's it for me. Um, one of my memories was the artwork on it. And it's weird because I'm pretty sure they re-released the American version with the European art. Or there was a version somewhere. I think it was a six-pack maybe. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. the, when they released it with the six games. But like I remember looking at that European art. I don't remember really the American art, the, which we'll talk about later in this episode. But uh, I do remember playing it a lot in my cousin's house. It was one of those games that was easy to put in and play because it was just like pick up, you play it, more than one person could play it. It even had a dual mode if you had the six-pack version, which I assume this is the one that we had because I remember playing the dual mode. Yeah. And I, it was just a fun little game. I mean, is it the most perfect beat-em-up ever? No. But in context of the year it came out, 1989... Mm -hmm. It's a really, really good game. I mean, it has mounts, it has magic, it has its own little uh, scenery that is in the back streets, which, you know, a lot of games try to copy Double Dragon, so we had Final mm. Fight and Streets of Rage. This one's very different compared to those two. Yeah, and I guess looking back, too, you know, we, we look at these now, and we, of course, know Streets of Rage, Golden Axe, Sonic the Hedgehog. Like, we can, we can pick out what the Sega games were. And we can know now that, you know, Golden Axe was an arcade game, but it was on the Genesis later. Um, but at the time, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really... I mean, we were similar ages, and I think at the time both of us probably weren't going, oh yeah, that's an Atari game, or, you know, like that's a, a Capcom game, that's a Sega game for sure, that's a first-party IP. You know, we didn't really think of those things. No, for sure. And, and, I, and I feel like if I had known, I'd probably seek it out, but at the time I was just like... Oh, I want the Ninja Turtle games. I want the Sonic games. And so I see these ones and I go, oh, I'll, I'll try it. I'll rent it. But I never really thought, like, these are the five first-party franchises you must own. You know, like, that's now. That's like Racket Boy article in, you know, 2015 or something. 
but it's definitely not at the time, except for maybe the six pack. Like they force it on you. They're like, here's your collection. Have it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we were also very young at this age. Like we were barely like, I don't know, maybe like three, four, some of us. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of hard for us to say, oh yeah, this had this. A lot of the stuff I'm going to be talking about right now, we're going to be talking about is obviously stuff that we researched for this uh, piece. So just letting everybody know that. But uh, Golden Axe was also one of those games that was really heavy in advertisement for Sega at this time. Like, I feel like the Sega Genesis, there was two eras, right? The early era, where it was like 88, 89, uh, 90. Mm -hmm. And then there was the Sonic the Hedgehog came out era, right? Where all the everything just skewed to Sonic the Hedgehog. But I think Golden Axe, like, I'm trying to think of the games that came out early in the Sega Genesis life cycle. Like, there was Fantasy Star 2. There was this one. And I yeah. feel like Golden Axe was the highest selling one. Like, the ones that was most put on ads and probably sold the most units before Sonic the Hedgehog happened? Yeah, yeah. The, I, I got into the Sega Genesis in 1991, so I was of that, like, second phase era. But looking back, I have um, a lot of magazines from before then, and Sega really just kind of pushed a bunch of men. You know, it was like you had Axel and you had... Um, uh, what's his name? The the lead guy in Golden Axe. Um, the Axe Battler. Axe Battler, and then they had uh, Shinobi. And it was like these three men. And you saw them a lot, and you'd see the bike from Hang On. So there wasn't really... It was more like, look at all of this stuff we have. And you'd see that with all the Genesis Does stuff. It would never say, like, Sonic, Genesis, buy it. Instead, it would be like, Genesis Does 30 different games. Genesis Does Michael Jackson, you know? Yeah, they um, really tried to uh, push the celebrity endorsement to angle of it. For sure. But this one um, was definitely up there. Like, they pushed this one a lot. I think even more than Streets of Rage. And this is also one of those games that Sega of America still really thinks highly of. Like, as people that cover Sega a lot, we see these kind of trends with Sega, right? Where they start uh, mentioning in person or in press release or you know behind the scene talks. Mm -hmm. Where you know Sega likes a certain few IPs. Mm -hmm. And it's usually Shinobi. Golden Axe, um, Streets of Rage. Uh, I think the Dreamcast stuff should get more credit than it does, but these are the games that a lot of people in America seem to like, mm -hmm. and this is one of those memorable games. So let's get right into the development of the franchise. Uh, being a game of sword and sorcery and a game that was really, really popular, this is actually original. Even though people know this as a Mega Drive game, it's actually an arcade game made by the Team Shinobi, Sega AM1. And it was headed by legendary developer, and I'm going to screw this up, so I just want to warn everybody so you can tell me in the comments. Uh, Makoto Ochida? Seems right. Yeah, who came off the success of Altered Beast. I like Barry that you're like, yeah, it seems right. Um, <laughs> if he was uh, in the room, he'd turn his head. That's what I'm saying. I can Personally, I consider this a sequel to Altered Beast because, I mean, there's a, a few tie-ins. Chicken Leg is in here, who was in um, Altered Beast. But it's the same team, and it was basically came out afterwards, and it was both were system uh, arcade system sixteen titles, uh, and then uh, Ochida would go on to make games like Crazy Taxi, Die Hard Arcade, Dynamite Cop, and then he officially ended his development career with Alien Front Online. I actually want to know what happened there, you know, during yeah, the Dreamcast, because yeah. like Alien Front Online. I mean, this isn't about that game, but. That game came out out of nowhere, and it felt like Sega was just like, here you go, no hype. 
hope you enjoy it. Even <laughs> though it was kind of a big deal, I think, for a game. But I guess it was when Sega was dying or whatever. And if you haven't noticed by looking at art or anything of Golden Axe, the game is obviously highly influenced by the 1982 movie Conan the Barbarian. Uh, the game even steals sounds from First Blood, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, not Arnold Schwarzenegger, Steven Seagal movie, and Conan the Barbarian movie, obviously. So, did you know that Conan the Barbarian influenced this game at the time, or did you even know what Conan the Barbarian was, Barry? I, I did, actually. I didn't know him as Conan the Barbarian. I knew him as, I think it was Conan the, the Adventurer. They had a cartoon series that ran at the same time as Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. And so where I grew up, I grew up in Minneapolis, we had uh, the, I forgot what the local station was, it, which syndication, but they, they ran, you know, like a, a morning group of stuff, and it was uh, Conan the Adventurer, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, um, the something, the, the Pirates of Darkwater or something like that. And so when I taped the show, I'd always, you know, add like a minute or two at each side so I could get the whole episode. And so I'd always see either the beginning or end of Conan. And so I know it like the back of my hand, but I've rarely seen an episode. Um, I was also, I played a lot of NES games like at friends' houses. And while there wasn't a Conan game, there was a lot of like knockoffs. Um, I'm trying to think Iron Sword with Fabio on the cover. Uh, that comes to mind. I have that one now too. It's a, I don't know if it's good or not. But, it's, um, it's one of those uh, it's one of those games that you went to your friend's house and you're like one day I'm gonna have this game and then now you're an adult you're like now I have this game yeah exactly and yeah. I don't play it I just look at it personally me with Conan the Barbarian I never watched it as a kid I knew there was something up that was like a Hollywood movie or something like I don't know like I was trying to think back when I was writing the notes for this game and I'm like I'm really into fantasy books right as a grown up mm -hmm. I read a lot of fantasy books um, and I'm thinking, when did I start liking fantasy? And I'm thinking, I think maybe Golden Axe. I don't want to say it is because I don't remember, but I think Golden Axe was my first like entry into the fantasy world. And I don't, something really drew me about Golden Axe. So I, I'm assuming maybe that was my uh, gateway drug, the first uh, the, <laughs> the first sampling into the fantasy universe that I got addicted to. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. Uh, what do you, did you know that the audio for these games were actually taken from other movies? Like, that's not something that uh, we would know, I think, growing up, obviously. But did you ever know this before this episode? Not about this game, though I, I did become aware a few years ago of um, Nights into Dreams ripping audio from Home Alone, of all things. Like, you can hear Kevin, remember, going, Mom? Dad? And and then um, uh, Thunderblade, too. Didn't they, they ripped... Uh, like just a screen grab of a movie of a helicopter or something like that. Like, you, there's no way you can get away with this now. Like, the fact that fan sites freak out when fan art accidentally slips into a Sonic game, like, oh yeah, like um, in All Stars Racing with the uh, uh, there was like a card, a playing card. Like the fact that that happens and people freak out. Imagine like a major studio and Sega's just like behind the scenes going, yeah, get the DVD, let's rip some audio. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny though because Super Thunderblade, the same guy that did the sound and music for that, did the same sound and music for this game. So, so I mean, I guess they didn't see a problem there. I guess to them it was kind of like with um, the Jet Set Radio music, where it's just sampling, you know, and and maybe you take it art artistic liberties there. But 
I don't know, I gotta imagine they crack down on this now. I mean, the, the equivalent would be like, as a graphic designer, it's like if I just went out to stock photo sites and searched for the original image without purchasing it, or just started stealing people's vacation photos, you know? Oh, that's easy. I mean, you know, it, you know, it <laughs> happens. And like, I feel like this is development, you know, back then when they developed these games, this is like the wild, wild west of development yeah. where anything goes as long as it gets done. And um, talk about, I mean, well, let's talk more about Golden X, but like the title was one of the big titles released in the golden age of beat em ups, which is considered to be like the late 80s, uh, early 90s. Uh, mm -hmm. It's considered, it actually kind of had like a deep story. I took a piece from the manual here, and it doesn't really do it justice because I've read different versions of this and, you know, laid out differently. But this is from the U.S. Golden Axe Manual. You want to read them, the amazing story, Barry? <laughs> yes, of course. Yuria is a strange land with evil oppressors. Dark Adder's death. Death Adder's soldiers have invaded every village, and Death Adder himself has massacred thousands. Finally, he's kidnapped the king and his daughter, the princess, and seized the Golden Axe. Only the strongest and craftiest warriors now have any chance of defeating him. The warriors appear to challenge Death Adder. Axe Battler, the terrible barbarian, arrives from the far plains. His mighty strength and courage is a match for any enemy. Tyrus Flair, the Amazon, appears from the deep jungles to overcome the oppressors. With sword skill and lightning magic, she vows to save the kingdom. Gilius Thunderhead, the dwarf, swings a deadly axe. His tricks and speed in battle can outwit even the most brutal giants. <laughs> So, yeah, this is a story for Golden Axe, or at least the bare basic of it. I mean, a lot of the characters in this game actually had revenge plots, which isn't kind of, like, n not normal in these games. Like, if you think about it, Double Dragon, you're getting your girlfriend from these thugs. Uh, I don't know what Final Fight story is. Streets of Rage, you're rescuing your friend in the first one. In the first one. So there's a lot of these stories about you going out and doing something. I think Golden Axe takes it kind of a little more grim where like everybody everybody had deaths in their family, like the three main characters, uh, yeah. including Axe Battler who was avenging his mother who was dead, got killed. Gilius is avenging his brother who got killed by Death Adder. And uh, yeah, and uh, so they're all, I think it was, uh, what's her name, got her family killed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is all about avenging people that died. So, did you know growing up playing these games that there was such a uh, revenge plot behind them? Or did you just play them for, like, face value? You're a knight. No, I mean, I, I didn't own the full game. So, you know, when you go to the store and rent a copy, you're just getting the cartridge. You're not getting the manual. And I did read the manuals. I always liked reading the little backstory. Uh, but in this case, you know, you get it. There, there isn't any story. Um, there's no scrolling text, is there? I don't, I don't believe so. I think there might be a few, but I think in the U.S. Uh, console version, like, I never read games when I was a kid. I was just like, all right, let me play. Um, yeah. I don't think they had that much of a story compared to, like, uh, other versions of the game. Like, the problem is there's so many versions of this game, which we'll talk about later, that all kind of yeah. change and uh, added their own little twist on stuff. But, uh, yeah, I don't think there was that much of a story. I think they kind of tell you where you're going in the game. That's about it. It, it kind of has a Lord of the Rings vibe just because there's all these different people coming together. And, you know, like with the Fellowship of the Ring, they all kind of had a main goal, but they also all had their, their own problems. Like, some of them were like, that guy 
Saru Sauron killed my dad, and then the other one's like, yeah, well, he massacred my people, and the other one's like, well, I'm going because that guy's going, you know, so um, it, it does kind of have that sort of vibe. I don't know, though, if the developers were really that well aware of Lord of the Rings, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, one thing that was kind of different in this game compared to like other beat em up games in the era, which we'll start talking about right now. I mean, I might as well just mm -hmm. do this section, then we'll talk about the question I wanted to tell you. Uh, the game is considered one of the golden age games of beat em ups. Uh, it's up there with Double Dragon, uh, Final Fight, Streets of Rage. In people's minds, I would consider it one of the top five games at least. Um, so. I think some of the stuff that makes this game stand out compared to the other games, I think some of this stuff is logical. The magic system, the setting, um, the mounts. Even at the time, playing as a girl was kind of standing out. I mean, Double Dragon and Final Fight did not have women characters, as, think, as long as I remember. Did Final Fight have yeah. a woman character? I don't want to say yes or no, but I'm leaning towards no. Because <laughs> I think they had two white guys. There was a guy and then the other guy, Cody. Mm -hmm. And then they had the, they had Haggard, which is like a bigger white guy with right. a mustache. Yeah, I mean I love playing as white guys. I mean let's not let's not hate on the on the bread and butter, right? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what are your thoughts? Do you think Golden Axe did a good job standing out from the crowd, and do you think that's why it's persevered its legacy, I guess, for so long? Oh, absolutely. I mean you you it was always in the streets you know there was no real sword and sorcery one going up against this there were games taking place in that era but typically what you would see is if it's on the streets it's a beat-em-up if it has wizards and warriors it's an rpg and so i think it's i mean i think it was pretty progressive because you think now there are finally rpgs taking place on the streets you know um I'm trying to think. There was one recently that's like a retro title. Is it retro? Is it River City Rampage? Is that a? That's a beat 'em up sort of game. That's oh, like yeah. a beat 'em up. Okay, I'm I'm trying to think of something. There's there was, um, a like uh, faux retro style um, RPG taking place like in a city. Um, but, you know, you didn't really see the opposite, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because uh, the reason that Golden Axe in development it was made was because Sega wanted something to be like Double Dragon or what... I forgot what it's called in Japan, but they wanted a hit like Double Dragon. But Sega, mm -hmm. the developers at Team Shinobi didn't want to make a direct ripoff. So they took the idea of a beat-em-up game and then they took the idea of a fantasy game from Double... Uh, from Dragon Quest because it was so popular in Japan and they just kind of combined mm -hmm. it together and they kind of made it Conan Barbarian style because I mean Americans like that kind of fantasy right like the yeah and it's smart too it it I mean you look at the market at the time and if they just did another you know kind of like I guess Streets of Rage but um it just it would have blended in I think I don't think it would have been as popular and I I think it's smart you know it's it's kind of goes with classic Sega thinking and I wish you'd I wish we would see more of that from them where you know they take a genre and turn it on its head and do something different with it um, but yeah this is definitely like a classic Sega move yeah I think they still do it sometimes but I think they do it very rarely now like I think Yakuza is one of those games where like it takes genres that are popular in Japan and it mashes them all together with some witty writing I think it's been a while since they've done that yeah yeah, I guess maybe you could argue with um, the recent Fist of the North Star Lost Paradise. 
it's a Yakuza game, but it's like licensed and a completely different setting and it just looks like it works and it looks like a lot of fun. So I think that one's gonna be, um, I think that's gonna be pretty popular and it's gonna be a surprise. Uh, well, let's move on about the music. I think the music okay. in this game is actually some of the most epic sounding music that Sega's put out for forever. Uh, at least it has like, uh, I, to me, you could take this music and put it behind a Conan the Barbarian movie and scenes in Conan the Barbarian, and I think it would fit just fine. I mean, it would sound a little weird because it has the Sega Genesis uh, or arcade sound chip, but besides mm. that, I mean, you could really tell that they hit the mark where they were going with. The soundtrack is uh, done. The whole sound of this al this whole game is done by Tahoro Nakabayoshi. Nakabayoshi? I'm not going to say that right. <laughs> Who's done a ton of arcade hits for Sega, including Alien Syndrome, Thunderblade, Altered Beast, and Michael, Jackson, uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. Uh, what do you think about these? Uh, what do you think about his career? And what, how do you think Golden Axe stacks up compared to these other games that he's done? Oh, I think that's impressive. So he, he did the arcade music for Moonwalker, I'm assuming, or for both no, no, versions? No, no, he did all arcade games. So he did the music for all the arcade games. So these are all Okay, I wonder how closely he worked with Michael Jackson. I mean, I don't know. But that is interesting because the first thing that comes to mind when you mention the Moonwalker game is they do um, straight like audio rips of Michael Jackson going, Woo! <laughs> and so it seems like, I don't know at what point in his career he did that, but it seems like he was like, oh, I'm ripping music. I'm ripping sound effects. You Let's think, keep that up. <laughs> you think he sat like in a room by himself and he's like, whoo, just doing those kind of sounds? <laughs> I don't know. I think he probably got a, a list of samples from, or like a, a package of samples from Michael Jackson. But yeah, overall, it's, it's an impressive uh, history of music and also... Just the Golden Axe theme in general. Um, what was the first one? Was it Forest? I think so. And then, like, uh, some of them have gotten so popular that, like, I think I posted this on the Discord a while back. Like, uh, uh, what's it called? Maps. Uh, the, the track from this uh, game called Maps was even, like, converted into, like, a rap song. The beat, the little, like, piano theme. So, oh, wow. so I mean... This these this music is still being listened to by a new generation of people because mm -hmm. a lot of these new rap groups are like eighteen year old kids. So the fact that they're using these old video games and making uh, music out of it, it's pretty cool that they're outliving the legacy. That yeah, a lot of these and, people um, didn't even think people were gonna play this after a couple of years. Exactly, and I was gonna say too with um, All Stars Racing Transformed, there was a really good remix as well for the Golden Axe track. So, yeah, Golden Axe music, is, and then we had the Data Disc vinyl release uh, recently, mm -hmm. and then in mm -hmm. 2008, there was a complete CD release of all the Golden Axe music for the main games. So, wow. yeah, if you could pick that up somewhere online, uh, it's pretty cool. So, the next section is more of a video thing, so if you're watching us in video, you get to see the covers. If not, Google them on your phone or remember them. We'll describe them as best as we can. We're going to be looking at Golden Axe covers and then talking about our favorite ones. The first one is the U.S. Sega Genesis cover of Golden Axe for the Sega Mega Drive slash Genesis. Well, it's America, so Genesis. Uh, right. So tell us, what do you think about this cover? Well, let's see. So we've got uh, Axe Battler front and center. We've got the... Blonde-haired. Yeah, blonde-haired. We have Tyrus on one side and we have uh, Gilius on the other riding a dragon. And then, like, 
snake eyes in the background or dragon eyes or something. The, was and there ever a monster that looked like that? I don't know, and there's a huge missed opportunity. Uh, he's holding a giant axe, but it's not golden. Exactly. What happened to the golden color? You ran out? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So, I mean, this is an alright one. I think the artwork's a little weird, especially in uh, Axe Battler's face. And uh, mm -hmm. what's-her-name looks like uh, Xena, the warrior princess in the side. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, it's not the worst cover. They kind of look like they do in the game, maybe a little off, obviously. But the next one we have is the Mega Drive Sega European cover, which is way more detailed. And this is the one I remember for this game. Uh, what do you think about this artwork and the package? I I mean, I don't know, I'm kind of offended because I can clearly see that uh, despite these heroic poses, um, uh, Gilius, the dwarf, he's just taking a knee, and it, I feel like it's a little offensive to, you know. But they're all jacked, all of them. Look how jacked <laughs> they are. They look like, uh, you know, uh, those old statues, you know, in the Roman times, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like they... the statue of David or whatever, or is it David? No, uh, some guy. They, I mean, to be to be honest, they look. It looks like it looks really cool. I like that cover, and um, I believe you get a free mini poster of that in the recent uh, Genesis Mega Drive collection that came out for PS4 and. Uh, and I would say Xbox. this is the most iconic one, right? This is what people remember when they think of Golden X. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, and I heard. I'm not sure. I try to look up who did the art for this, but it was really, really hard to Google. But I heard that the same guy that did the this one did Echo the Dolphin and the other painting ones, which kind of makes sense because if you look at the style, it's very similar. And the European one that was done for Europe, that's not Japanese art, right? I think Japanese people took the same art. I'm not sure. I have to because I looked up the covers and I think the Japanese one was the same. I mean, you could Google it real quick if you want. I have an art book, so while we're while we're going through this, I'll take a quick look here. It's the Sega Video Game Illustrations book. Uh, the next one is this uh, Master System cover. This uh, this cover is very, I mean, it just has your boy, Axe Battler, in it. They just took out everybody else. And there's actually a reason why they do this, because the game is only single player on Master System, and only Axe Battler is actually playable on this one. Uh -huh. So we get, to, we get to check him out right here with his abs and the dragon just chilling in the back in the corner. Uh, this is not obviously better than the Mega Drive ones. Because, I mean, I think Master System just had, like, a spree of really bad art for, like, a lot of box art. So mm -hmm. this one is actually a lot better than most Master System box boxes. Uh, what do you think about this one? It looks okay. It looks better than most Master System boxes. You're right. Um, I, I think Master System actually had really strong design. And when I say that, I mean they had very strict rules in place and they followed them. If you look at the manuals, they're written really well really well laid out it's just the art that they put on the front it was like clip art and it did oh, not yeah. it did not give you a good idea at all of what the game was like um i feel like when sega was actually handling it it looked nice but i think it was probably tonka making some bad mistakes there um i did want to mention real quick uh i did find the art in the in the book here and so what they say is that the illustrator is Yoshi Yoshiaki Yone, Yo, Yoneshima. Yoshiaki Yoneshima. I'm, I mean, I've never heard of him, but and like, I, I thought that... He's credited from Room T, so it might be an external... Uh, 
good cover though i mean it's gonna be probably stay as the cover for this game forever uh the next one is the ms dos version of the game who got like a guy that looks kind of like fabio and it's just, it's a dude it's not uh-huh. even a drawing and he's shirtless with these tattoos of like paw prints and he has a golden axe that's right guys a golden axe there you so go. the game's over we got it um the next cover we're looking at is the <laughs> Sega Ages 2500 re-release. This one's uh, obviously the Golden Axe one. What do you think about this anime cover? I think it looks nice. I like it. Um, I mean, I think it actually real it accurately captures the game, even though it's not like the game itself doesn't have an anime look to that. Um, I think my only problem is, is that a lot of the art's being covered by the Golden Axe logo. Like you don't see any of their feet. Which <laughs> uh, yeah, they should have put the they should have put them on a mountain or something like uh, above, right? Yeah, either that or put more sky space and put golden axe up top. Um, I think it's a shame when they cover the artwork like that. And the next one we're looking at is the Wonder Swan Color. That's right. The you never heard of the Wonder Swan Color? It was a I handheld released by Square in Japan only, and it had a golden axe uh, port because why not? This one is. Uh, what do you think about this one? It's. Uh, I think this is probably a really nice cover compared to the. It's not as good as the Sega ones, but this is pretty good. Yeah, I guess if you were like releasing uh, Golden Axe for the Virtual Boy, it would work because it's all red. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's cool. I like. I like how he's like stalking forward. It looks a lot more. He looks a lot more like a barbarian rather than like yeah. a hero. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I think this probably captures him at least just by the way he stands. Yeah. And this last one we're looking at, uh, the Atari ST cover. This is the ugliest cover, I think, that we're going to be looking at. What do you think about this? Like, they're fighting each other. They look like it's a three-way fight right here. Well, that's not Gilius, is it? That's like an enemy behind him. I, I thought there was supposed to be all three heroes when I first saw it, but it's like, is it just Axe Battler fighting randoms? I guess. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't look like he. they shouldn't be fighting the um yeah it's boy i don't know it's It's not that great if it's supposed to be the three main characters in the game which is kind of weird uh yeah yeah, this is really bad if it's only supposed to be axe battler versus two randoms then it's not that bad but yeah yeah depends it depends so yeah let's talk about uh some of the versions of the game right because this game if you were a popular sega genesis game you're gonna have a ton of ports in the future right um, the Golden Axe was a highly popular arcade game, and it is bound to have a lot of uh, console ports, which we already know. The most popular one was the Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive. It was actually pretty faithful. I think the most things they did was change some of the intros and outros. They actually censored it, but I think the game was censored outside of Japan anyway. Uh, the arcade version in Japan actually had a blood scene where like a character gets his head cut off they kind of took all that out so this one was censored at downgraded graphics um they added the dual mode though and that one's on the six pack version and then they added uh when you beat the game in the arcade this one had a whole new level afterwards and a new boss called deathbringer which was a super cheap uh character that uh was very hard to beat and it frustrated me a lot when i was a child so Thank you, Sega, hmm. for porting that over. The other version was Sega. It was a Sega CD re-release, which is the same as the Sega Genesis and Mega Drive game, with 
CD quality yeah. sound. Uh, the biggest issue was that it was only single player, which is kind of the same issue we have with the 8-bit port on the Sega Master System of Golden Axe, which obviously degraded the graphics and only let you play as Axe Battler. Uh, and they also changed mm. his name to Turek, so of why course. not? Uh, the PC Engine also got a release, which was a uh, pretty bad <laughs> version of the game. We also got a lot of other ports. Uh, I guess some of the ones I can name is like the Commodore 64, the Game Boy Advance, the Amiga, Atari ST, Wonder, uh, Wonder Swan Color, and many, 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 many more. Like many more. And uh, so mm -hmm. this is the part where we talk to you about versions that we want to recommend. I'll recommend two. Sega Vintage Collection in 2012. Uh, it has Arcade Perfect. It uh, has better translation. It has online play, if you know somebody that wants to play with you. And the Sega Genesis and Mega Drive. I, I can. These two are probably the two you should try, I think, to get the full experience. Mm -hmm. uh, the Sega Genesis, because it has that extra level, so you could try it in the dual mode. Uh, the arcade, because I think that's the way it's meant to be played. Any other versions that you want to, I guess, recommend to people? Um, I would say if you see it for cheap, check out the Sega CD version, despite, you know, having, missing, you know, two-player mode. I rarely have someone to play with myself, so I didn't really notice it was missing it. That's one I have. Um, I think it's interesting to play it with CD quality sound. It sounds really nice, at least. So that would be my only other recommendation. Um, it never had a 3D Classics release, did it? I I was actually thinking about that the other day. I Maybe mean, I should have Googled it before I did this, but I'm pretty sure it did not. No, no, I think they really focused on um, Streets of Rage. I, I'm surprised they didn't do like an arcade, the arcade version. That would have been really cool. Yeah, and uh, the new version on the new collection, that one doesn't have the arcade version, right? Not even unlockable? I don't think so, no. There's no unlockables in the PS4, Xbox One. Well, I mean, so these two are probably the best versions if you just want to get back into the game. You could obviously emulate the arcade version. I uh, suggest a Japanese ROM if you could get one. But, uh, I mean, this is the section of the podcast where we move on to games of 1989. This kind of gives you a taste of what was going on during this time. The first mm -hmm. one, I just want to show you how awards don't mean anything. Do you know... I'm going to name two games that won the Golden Joystick Awards in 1989. Operation Wolf, 8-bit, and Speedball, 16-bit. Do you know Ooh. either of these games? Well, let me tell you. Operation Wolf, developed by... Uh, a company. Yoshimashi, <laughs> he did a fantastic job. Speedball was probably the defining game of 1989. I remember, you know, we had Speedball shirts, there was a cartoon series. No, I've never heard of these. I know there's going to be somebody that's listening to this. It's like, oh, these guys are idiots. Speedball was your best game of 1989. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Sega uh, Fantasy Star 2 hit the Sega Genesis in 1989. Another big title for the Sega Genesis uh, in America. Uh, Super Mario Land hits the Game oh. Boy. You've probably that's heard of that one. game. Capcom yeah. releases Mega Man 2, which is just the start of many Mega Man games. The first SimCity was released. Wow. And 1989 was also a crazy year for uh, US releases. We got the TurboGrafx-16, 
Atari released the Linux. Is that how you say Linux? Lin Linux? Uh, links. 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 Oh, does it handheld? And it did really well, I think. Right. Uh, Sega Genesis launches. Game Boy handheld launches. And Mattel launches the infamous Power Glove. All hmm. in one year. Wow. So can you imagine being like high school age? You have your first job. You you're gonna go out and buy a gaming system. And all this stuff comes out, and you're like, oh, I really want the power glove for my NES, but this Game Boy Turbo Graphics is too much. Uh, what are these systems uh, do you like, I guess? There's a lot of releases here. Hmm. I like the Sega Genesis, obviously. Obviously, yeah. Uh, Game Boy, I always wanted to own one, but I never did. I, I got a Game Gear much later. Really, I had a, um, a Nomad. I think I got one in 90, the year after it came out. So it was that 94, 95. Um, so you can't really go back to a Game Gear or a Game Boy when you have a Nomad because you can play like the Genesis port of Golden Axe on the go. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, it looks like a great year for games. I mean, every one of these are classics outside of maybe Speedball. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, that's very cool. I had no idea SimCity was that old. And Super Mario Land, like, I'm not a big Nintendo fan, but I really like that one, and I really like uh, Six Golden Coins. I think those are great games. Yeah, I think the Game Boy, obviously, is a big release. I think that changed handheld gaming. It's kind of crazy that Atari was such, like, was right there with Nintendo with their uh, backlit handheld. Uh, TurboGrafx-16, mm -hmm. I think, to me, it has a big place in my heart because it was one of those systems that... I first accidentally got really cheap because they bombed. And it was one of those yeah. game systems that kind of opened up the door that there's like more to gaming than what we see on the news or what's popular at school or whatever. So TurboGrafx-16 yeah. is one of those consoles that just like went under the radar in the US. But yeah, and uh, I mean, a lot of these games, like you said, SimCity released this early. I didn't know that either until I did the notes. So now let's talk about movies of 1989. I'm going to name oh. all the movies. You could pick one to talk about in the end of it. Ooh. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Batman. Back to the Future Part 2. Look Who's Talking. Debt Poet Society. Lethal Weapon 2. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Ghostbusters 2. And The Little Mermaid. Oh man, that's a good year. I like most of those movies, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty good year for movies. Oh, boy. I want to talk about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade because I like the way uh, Sean Connery says Junior. That was... A, I mean, a lot of people, like, really don't like that movie that I've met, or at least when I used to be really... Who? <laughs> just friends. Just saying, compared to the first two. Nobody goes, the Last Crusade is the best one. Um, compared to the... They do, too. Who, you? Well, the, everyone shits on the second one. Everyone likes the third one because it's, it's got uh, Sean Connery in it. <laughs> well, I Junior. mean, I like Sean Connery, too. Junior. But, like, I feel like it... I think that one's a little underrated compared to the other ones, at least in scenes where they mock it now in modern TV. You, you, don't, mm. see this, you don't see Family Guy making jokes about The Last Crusade, do you? You can't joke about it because it's perfect. Um, <laughs> oh, that's true. I was also going to mention... Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, dude. Yeah, yeah. I like that movie. I haven't seen it in years, but I liked Auntie, the giant ant. And um, I guess he yeah. wasn't giant. He was giant to the kids. And then the best scene in that movie. Do you know what the best... Like, 
if you could do one thing that happened in that movie, what would it be? And I bet I, I, I know what it is. Is it, it? I'm trying to remember what scene it was in the movie, but there was something where it has to do with like. Just tell me what it is. I'm trying to remember the movie. I, can't, I haven't seen it in a long time. Wasn't it? They were eating a giant oatmeal cream. That's pie what it was. Or something it was like, like that. they were eating something. That's what I was thinking. It was like cookies or something. It was. Um, wasn't it a little Debbie? And it was. I think it was. And it was that white cream filling. But it was like instead of just because you know when like you get an Oreo, you're like you eat the the cream and you're like, oh that was good. Imagine just like having a room full of it, like a, a swimming pool full of it. Like of course you're gonna throw up in like one minute. But, of course, but, but you just it, want to stick your head in it and be like, oh. <laughs> that that movie was really well done. I thought. I mean, I was a kid when I watched it a lot. It was one of those movies that when you went to your aunt's house or something, like they always had playing in the background. Yeah. Um, cause like I don't know, it was just a really good, well done movie. I thought it was it had a really good imagination. Like I like the idea of going into the lawn when you're like really, really tiny. And, yeah. and like these huge ants, it was just cool. it was cool. It was a cool movie. So 1989 was a great year for movies. Uh, it was a great year for gaming, and uh, I mean, I, anything else you want to share with everybody? No, uh, I mean, go out and play Golden Axe if you have never played it before. And I will say, check out the arcade version. And also, we didn't talk about the sequels, but if you can ever play, what is it, Revenge of Death Adder? Oh yeah, Revenge of Death Adder, which is considered the uh, sequel to this game, really. But like, maybe we should mm -hmm. do an, its own episode. But like, it's kind of hard to talk about oh, Death sure, Adder but... because it's like, it never got ported to consoles. A lot of people never really got to enjoy it. And Sega still hasn't ported it, an official port to consoles. It's so good. So if you ever see yeah. it or you can emulate it, check it out. It's at Galloping Ghost. I could go leave right now and play it in like 15 minutes. So I'm not All right, to... man. See you, Barry. <laughs> Bye. No. No, uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, but um, yeah. And then there's that weird uh, uh, recent one too um, uh, that came out on the 360, right? We're not talking about Beast uh, Riders on this one. I know. I know. But, but I was going to say there's so many sequels, but check out the originals. Don't get bogged down in the sequel. And it's actually kind of funny. I mean, I might as well mention it because I don't think we're going to be doing a Beast Rider episode anytime soon. But uh, Beast Rider was one of the first games I actually went to Sega to see behind the scenes before it was made. Uh, Valkyrie Chronicles was being localized at the time, the first one. And it's kind of weird that, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it was such a... It looked bad when I went and see it. Be, I mean, when I saw it, I knew it was going to be bad when it came out. And it was bad. I don't know. I mean, you want to read some tweets while we... Uh, play the music out oh yeah for sure let's check out what people said so on our twitter account uh twitter.com slash segabits or at segabits if you want to follow us we asked people what their thoughts were on golden axe so oh wow we don't have to read too many that's good <laughs> so we have um uh ohi kuma who i believe is kiyoshi who's working on uh that upcoming space harrier inspired game um he said the first one was good on the Genesis. The Genesis sequels were forgettable. And then he said, where's Revenge of Death Adder? And I couldn't agree more. Uh, we also have Elk Plays and Paints. He says, I just realized I never listened to any of your Sega Talk podcasts, and I've been itching for new podcasts. So I guess I'll be marathoning your past ones while I wait for this. So that's good. I like, there's been a few people who have been binging them. So, and I know there's someone on our Patreon who was like, where's the next one? I binged them all. So here you go. Here's another one. Uh, we also have Augustin. Augustin? Augustin Gloop. Uh, and it, they say, it was the second game I played in my life. First was Miss Pac-Man. I was blown away by the scroll. I see there is much more 
then you can see on the screen and it was getting revealed by fighting with weapons of magic. Oh, that's cool. Um, it's true that few video games. Uh, he all, Steven says, Sega is leaving money on the table by not bringing us more Golden Axe. I think we are all eagerly awaiting the arcade sequel to someday get ported to consoles as well. Cameron says, really awesome for the time. The ability to ride creatures made it stand out. I agree. And finally, we have Thief of Hearts, and they say, we need a new one, preferably set after the arcade game ending. So, wait, so like in the present day, that's kind of like Captain yes. America. Um, and they also say we need a port of Revenge of Dead Adder. So, and again, I couldn't agree more. So, or I could agree. I don't know. So, yeah, that does it for the uh, with the people on the Twitterverse. That's what they think. And so, thanks for listening on my end. And George, you want to say goodbye to everyone? Goodbye, everybody. And if you guys want to suggest an episode, a game for a future episode, you guys could contact us at segabits.com at gmail.com. Segabits or Sega Talk as the header, and we'll read it and get back to you. Thank you for listening and watching. See you next time. <laughs>